1: What's up, everybody? Wednesday night, one week away from free agency, and we've got a lot to talk about on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, and I can't believe how quickly 2021 has flown by already. We're talking on the doorstep of free agency. A lot to get to tonight. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, but I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, John Sheeran. John, how you doing, bud? I was just thinking that man, like February just flew by, just like <laughs> just a year, just
2: a year ago, man, just a year ago, we were doing a Wednesday show, and all of a sudden Rudy, Rudy Gobert like rubbed his hands all over some mics, and <laughs> all of a sudden the entire world collapsed. So it's, it's been a year, man, it's been a month, and now, like you said, we're a week away, so. I think we got some news to cover, though.
1: We've got just just a smidge, just a smidge. We're going to cover a lot of different news and happenings that has been happening around the NFL as it pertains to free agency. Guys who have randomly hit the open market shortly before the onset of it. What the Bengals are doing, and uh, we had a couple of big press conferences this week from a couple of the team figureheads. So we're going to talk about some news. We've got to state your case, hot take that we're gonna we're gonna bring you tonight. And we've got a soundbite of the week. And then we're going to try and get you an, another free agency profile, time permitting. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. Let's roll right into it if uh, if you're ready, John. Let's start with some of these interesting names hitting free agency, be it by not or set to hit free agency, I guess. Whether they're hitting immediate free agency or looks like they're going to hit free agency because they didn't get the franchise tag. You've got Kevin Zeitler. You've got Riley Reef. You've got, uh, gosh, I'm gonna probably miss a few. Curtis Samuel is set to hit free agency. He did not receive the the tag. Joe Tooney did not receive the franchise tag as was pretty expected. Um, so, you know, Kenny Galladay, we we had we did a free agency preview about on him a few weeks ago, and he's didn't get the franchise tag like we expected. So he's on the open market. I don't know, man. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of different names out there. I don't know if, if a few are jumping out at you right away, and, and especially some of those who may not you may not have expected to be on the open market.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think eight or nine. I think nine was the official number for players who got the franchise tag. Like you said, Galladay was one that people were surprised that he didn't get the tag. Um Wide receiver and offensive guard, just a position that's extremely saturated. I know Jeremy Fowler... Noted this on Twitter, ESPN reporter Jeremy Fowler. He said, "Like, there's like five starters that were last year's starters at both of those positions that are either street free agents right now or said to be free agents with the intent of playing somewhere else. Like, those are positions that the Bengals should be interested in. And like, th- th- this is just what happens. This is what was going to happen this year when the cap was officially placed at 182 and a half million dollars uh, Wednesday morning. Um, teams they, they need to get." under the cap or they need to get in, in a good space to resign the players that they need to resign. And that, unfortunately it, it comes with cap casualties. And right now it seems like wide receiver an uh, offensive line and maybe a couple of guys on defense, like those are the positions. Those are the spots that are seeing the most action in terms of guys hitting the market. And like we kind of predicted, it was going to benefit the Bengals because these are positions that like they were going to target their positions of weakness. And now they have opportunities to kind of strike.
1: Shaq Barrett a guy that the Cincinnati Bengals courted uh, a couple of years ago. He's a guy who hit the open market, um, you know, or is set to hit the open market. And, you know, there are a number of guys now that were released though. And, and I guess the conversation needs to probably transition here. I mean, do you think that the Bengals are going to start pouncing on some of these cut guys, waved guys before the actual true onset of free agency, or do you think they're going to kind of let the market play out, the frenzy, if you will, play out from the 15th through the 17th, see kind of what's there and then, and then strike. Um, I, I personally think it's going to be a little bit of both. I, I'd i like to hear your take on it though.
2: It, it is going to be both. I think like, regardless of what, what they do before next Wednesday, like they're going to be busy this week, whether it's looking at who else is getting cut, trying to potentially line up meetings with guys who already have been cut or, you know, something that we're going to talk about later like, in on their own internal Uh, negotiations and whatnot. But yeah, like, like I I would not be totally shocked if they sign at least one guy who was cut uh, in the past couple of days, if they sign him before the official beginning of free agency, because uh, just to give everyone like a clear timeline right now, uh, every team in the NFL has exclusive negotiating rights with any of their own um, scheduled, Un- unrestricted free agents they had that until i think monday at noon monday at noon is when the legal tampering period begins and it's when free agency technically begins because teams can start negotiating and talking with players but no deal is official until the new league year hits at i believe 06- 06 i don't know if i'm saying military time correctly but <laughs> 4 p.m eastern time on st patrick's day march 17th so that's when the official start of free agency happens but there will be a lot of deals, as we all know, that will be a bit unofficially official before then. And I think if you're the Bengals, again, wide receiver, offensive guard, defensive line, p- position groups that are being kind of purged right now from rosters, I think you're going to see at least one signing from a street free agent that is going to join the Bengals.
1: And I, If I remember correctly from what I read today, too, that may be a, a big part of the equation this time around. Um, meaning going after the guys who have been cut as opposed to those who are set to hit the free agent market, because the Bengals did not receive any compensatory picks, unless I am mistaken uh, that those were announced today. So they did not get any um, and that they usually covet those quite, quite highly. And the fact that they, what they did in free agency last year uh, played into the formula this year, wherein they, they didn't get an extra pick. We kind of assume that was probably going to be the case, but um, You know, so maybe this year they kind of go after some of those more those guys who have been more waived, released, that sort of thing, as opposed to set set to hit the open market. John, one of your guys that you did on our uh, free agent profile, Taylor Moten, he uh, he got the the franchise tag. Brandon Scherf, franchise tag two years in a row. Uh, He's he's essentially all but off the market. Um, Chris Godwin, a, a, a talented wide receiver in Tampa Bay, he got the the franchise tag so while there are a lot of guys that are becoming available some guys that could really help the Bengals roster are now out of their reach too
2: right and sheriff and moden i think they were objectively like the two most promising names to potentially hit the market but i mean guys who were that talented it's very rare for for their original teams to let them go and that's that's really why i i don't like the franchise tag because brandon sheriff he's going to turn 30 in December and he's, and he's never going to hit free agency. Like that's, that's just kind of detrimental to guys like future earnings because Brandon Sheriff at the end of the day, like over the next, over the past two years now, Brandon Sheriff's going to like take home like over 30 million in, in cash like right away, but still like any long-term like potential future earnings that he might have had, like it's all been evaporating and you, you got to think like at this point, like these are his best years and like, you know, he may only have like three or four quality years left. So he may not, he may never get a, a long-term extension unless Washington agrees with one before July. And obviously Moden, a couple years younger, you know, people looked at him as like the, as the premier um, right tackle on the market. And once now that he's gone, like, you know, the market is a little bit bare. It's, it's maybe top heavy with one or two guys, but then there's not a lot of depth after that. So like that was all, those two were always going to be kind of um, you know, unlikely guys to hit the market and guys like Tooney and Darrell Williams, you know, w- weren't expected to be retained, at least before free agency began. So those are always going to be like, like the high end possible options that the Bengals have. But like you mentioned, Kevin Zeidler is now out there. Andrew Norwell for the Jaguars. He's highly speculated to get cut. Trey Turner from the Los Angeles Chargers. He was traded to there last year, had a terrible year. So he's back out. On the market, Gabe Jackson, who I think we talked about last week, he's still available on the market. There's that's two left guards, I think, or one left guard and three right guards that have starting quality experience, but no one really knows what their market's going to be. And I, Andre product good friend of the show, he was on a couple weeks ago. He kind of figured out that, like, right now there is a void in the guard market between that $5 million range, which is like yeah. a low end starter, and like the, 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 Ten and above, which is where the Gabe Jacksons and the Trey Turners they were originally they originally were. Now those contracts don't exist, but they're not going to get those original deals back on uh, with another team in the next coming weeks or so. So th- those three or four guys, they can find themselves in that six to nine million dollar range. And now you're thinking, if you're the Bengals, like, are they going to go after Joe Tooney and pay him $14, $15 dollars a year, or are they going to get? a slightly lesser guy in a Gabe Jackson or a reunion of Kevin Zeidler pay him like half of that in terms of the average annual value, still get a quality player. It kind of seems like with, with how things are t- going right now and how the, how the market's getting really saturated, it's almost like a little bit wiser to get a still a quality player for less money. And that gives you more flexibility to fill out the rest of your needs.
1: And on a, probably a shorter term deal. I mean, a Joe Tooney, you'd probably be looking at probably a four or maybe even a five year type of deal you know, some of these guys that are, you know, maybe a little bit up in age or guys that were released that you're talking about are in that six to eight million dollar a year range. Um, that's more their wheelhouse in terms of what the Bengals would like to pay that position. Um, especially for for a starting guard, one that is pretty good. You know, that 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 to me just I, I know we we all like Joe Tooney and we like Brandon Scherf, but he's he's now franchise tag, but I, I know we like that, but I think, you know, financially, if you can, maybe, maybe you're able to get two of those guards, you know what I mean? I mean, it, there's, there's all kinds of different possibilities there. And that was a very astute observation by Andre Parada. I uh, should have pulled up that tweet there, but you can, you can find them on Twitter and, and see what we're talking about there. Um, while we're talking about guards, we're going to, we're going to transition into a couple of different areas in just a second, including what, what the salary cap is actually set at, what the Bengals may have to spend, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so we'll talk about that in just a second. But while we're talking about guards, we had a question on it from Frank Randolph talking in the live Facebook chat. How much is Zeitler worth? We I, I mentioned at the... On set of the show, Kevin Zeitler is now, has now been released by the Giants. He may be one of those guys in that, given his age, he's, I I think, entering what his 10th year, um, given his age and uh, him looking for a contract, he may be in that wheelhouse that we're talking about of a a little bit more affordability, but I'd like to hear your take on that as well as how much you, how likely you think a reunion between Zeitler and the Bengals potentially could be there because I I don't really know. I, I, I go back and forth on it.
2: Yeah. So like that projection projected range of value that uh, Andre mentioned, like that, that, that is still a projection. It's an idea and has a lot of logic behind it, but we don't know for sure what these guys are going to get until they sign the dotted line. Like, uh, unfortunately there there may not be a a great market for a a guy like Zyler or a guy like Gabe Jackson. Like I think Zyler still would have a lot of interest around the league because he's just a quality player. Mm -hmm. He's durable and all that stuff. And I think you could still expect, Know probably at least two more good years out of him, so maybe he does get into that seven million dollar reach. But if there doesn't doesn't happen to be a market for some of these guys, you know, it could just be a one year, four to five million dollar deal because unfortunately, you know, money's tight right now, so you know, we we don't know for sure what these guys are worth until teams start making these offers. But that I still think that six to eight million dollar range makes a lot of sense, at least for a two year deal, maybe. A guy would take a little bit less, you know, more money up, more money up front, more cash up front, but maybe like a smaller cap hit for just a one year deal to then, you know, play well and then enter the market next year when the cap is a little bit higher.
1: So that good, good segue there, John. Let's talk about the cap because that finally, finally, finally that news and that information became available on Wednesday You wrote up the post on cincyjungle.com, salary cap is set at 182 million, 182.5 million, quite a dramatic drop from last year. And I love your caption here. How much do the Bengals have to spend? And you said, the answer is still a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So um, you you wrote this bad boy here. Can you run us through a little bit of, of an overview? I know we talked quite a bit about it with Andre. Um, a couple of weeks ago but now that we have some official numbers here uh can you run us through a couple of these not to put you on the spot
2: right so the final number was projected to be somewhere between 180 185 180 was the new floor that they agreed upon the nfl agreed upon in february ended up being right in the middle of those two projected values and what does that mean for the Bengals? well the Bengals originally had i believe 10.8 million dollars in rollover cap space from the 2020 season. So that gets added to their cap number. So 182 and a half plus 10 it's like 193. But then there were some things where they adjusted for incentives that haven't been met. So they added on like an additional 2 million for, for the Bengals rollover. So the Bengals cap number, their adjusted cap number is like 195. And then you look at, you know, their, their top 51 contracts. I think they have exactly 51 contracts until the Brandon Allen deal. You know, yeah, yeah, hey, hey, Brandon hey, Allen. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey. So um, yeah, once the Brandon Allen, Brandon Allen deal gets in, that'll affect the cap number a little bit. But Bengals top fifty-one cap hits right now is right at about 150. And then they're still carrying like two and a half million from the Carlos Dunlap signing bonus because that's still dead money. So total cap space right now, currently, as of Wednesday, March 10th for the Bengals is just under 43 million, which is I think fifth amongst NFL teams right now.
1: Yeah, they've, they've got uh, a lot to spend there. I know they have the most in the AFC North in terms of uh, cap space at the at the current time. So um, go give this a read, all, those, all the data points there that John brought up is on this post on cincyjungle.com. But that's kind of where we're at with things with the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of their space currently and where the cap is set. Now, the Bengals, a lot of teams have not... A lot of teams have been shedding players from their roster to make space because they're in a different salary cap situation. The Bengals have not done that yet, but we know that the Bengals can save quite a bit of money, anywhere from, what, $9 million to $11 million or so, with Geno Atkins being released, depending on the post-June 1st designation. We've got uh, Bobby Hart, some potential savings there, especially if the Bengals go after some of this slew of offensive linemen that, that have hit the market. Um, so there's some savings there, and there are a couple of other names that they can really – you know maybe trim some fat if they really want to go after some of these guys but you know i've seen you say it i know andre said it i've said it and i know our bud chris rolling over at bangles wire has said this as well there's really not a reason why the bangles can't get a small handful at least of some high quality starters some some relatively too high priced veterans to really help out this roster at this point in time
2: yeah bj finney is not going to be the only guy that they cut dead weight like i know people are Considering maybe like they hold on to Gino and Bobby for now, but like they don't need the cap space just yet. As soon as they do, like, you know, they they may have respect for both those guys, specifically Gino, because of what he's done for the past decade. But um, that is space that they are well aware that they can create. And whenever they need that space and in all likelihood they are going to need that space, those guys are going to unfortunately be looking for new place, new teams to play for.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my co-host a little bit of a curveball here um, because we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna talk about a couple of press conferences here um, that were held by the Cincinnati Bengals and a couple of their major figureheads. I want to talk just a, a few minutes about what was said there. We have a soundbite of the week. I was gonna play it later, but I think this plays in pretty well to what we're talking about. So, I'm, it, with John, if you're okay with it, I'm gonna play our soundbite of the week and tie it in right now. Um, this is. Zach Taylor talking to the media. I think it was a question asked by uh, ESPN's Ben Baby, friend of our program, uh, talking about some offensive line questions. So I'm going to play you this and uh, give me one second. I will cue this up. Basically, there's been some questions about where, you know, if the Bengals invest on the offensive line, does that mean some shuffling of some players that are set to be on that offensive line in 21 and start for them? Will they be moved around? That was kind of the question. And in case you did not hear the press conference, here's a small snippet of what Zach Taylor had to say. And, oh, by the way, it was an echoing of what Duke Tobin said a day prior. So uh, here it is. Zach, do candidate Jonah Williams, you know,
3: asked about left tackle. He said Jonah Williams was a guy that they saw flashes up, that y'all saw flashes up, that can
1: be there moving forward. Uh, regardless of what happens in the draft, do you plan on keeping Jonah at left tackle? Yes, I, I thought he made a lot of improvement in the games that he got to play last year. Uh, again, everybody's got to be flexible with, with what pieces are available to you. And so you can never say anything set stone. but I'm very comfortable with Jonah at left tackle. I think he made some really solid improvements there from game to game. And works out to get back there at that piece next year. John, surprised, not surprised. Uh, agree, disagree. That is our soundbite of the week. Zach Taylor talking about the commitment to Jonah Williams at left tackle, echoing the sentiments by Duke Tobin made uh, a day earlier. What do you What do you think about that?
2: I mean, I can give my own opinion, but I feel like Matt Minnick, um, our own Matt Minnick said it best. Like the Bengals don't need to create more problems on the offense line than they already have. And I think moving Jonah around, unless they fully commit to it, like right now, I feel like that just creates an unnecessary problem. Jonah was a good left tackle last year, especially for one who played in the NFL for the first time in his career. He was objectively above average and good. I know he had some mishaps in here and there. That's just what happens with young offense line. We've talked about this ad nauseum, it feels like, but he was good and the Bengals recognized that. And I feel like they want to move around as, as little pieces as possible. And I feel like, keeping Jonah where he was good at last year. I think that makes a lot of sense, regardless of anything else that they do.
1: So question for you here, a recent rookie and a name that has been linked to the Bengals, either at number five, or if they move back blew up a workout this week, Mm, Sean Slater. Okay. Go look at the numbers. He, he did exceptionally well. He tested very well in a number of different areas. My question to you, John Sheeran, Jonah Williams The criticism with him, short arm length, 34 inches or so, maybe a little bit under. Rashawn Slater, for all the measurables, 33-inch arms, short arms. So now you've got potentially your bookend tackles, both of them with short arms, in the AFC North with a slew of different pass rushers, big ones and more tweener, you know, uh, linebacker edge type guys. I mean, all kinds of different guys coming off the edge that they have to fend off. Uh, just a quick topic of conversation Rashawn Slater how does that how does that figure in with the short arm length with Jonah Williams and their commitment to him on the left side
2: I feel like Slater um if you want to compare Slater and Williams uh, as prospects I think Slater not only is a little bit stronger but he's definitely a lot quicker and just a yeah. better athlete and that's why ultimately Rashawn Slater if he if he stays at left tackle or or just one of the tackle spots he's going to be fine like the athleticism is so So under underrated as an, as an attribute for just offensive tackles in general, because you need to get out in space and you need to be able to handle these guys who run four, fours and four threes off the edge nowadays. And he has that speed and explosion to get out in the stance and and limit and limit some of these guys. And that's how you can counter, having less than ideal length and guys have survived with 33 inch arms because either they are just expert technicians like Joe Thomas, or just also like T- Joe Thomas, Supreme athletes for their size. And I think for Slayer definitely qualifies as a Supreme athlete for his size, but he can also move inside the guard, but he's cause he's definitely strong enough. And he, and that athleticism will also translate. He's going to be fine wherever he goes. And I don't even know if that's, if that is the case for John Williams, who is a slightly more limited athlete, but definitely has a little bit more issues with strength too. And that, that would definitely impede how successful he could be at guard unless he puts on a lot more strength. And who knows that that's even in his best interest. If he doesn't have the frame to really max that out.
1: Your comfort level though, of, of if that was with, with, the Bengals, you would be comfortable because of the said athleticism. If the Bengals were to go with two shorter arm tackles, on, on both edges, you would be you would be fine with that.
2: I think with Slater, like right now, I I I don't see why he wouldn't be like a multi Pro Bowl guard. And if he stays a tackle, he could be like an Isaiah Win, just a like an above average, solid starter nice. tackle. Yeah, like I feel like that that's a great that's a great comparison for him. Um, I, I think they would be fine. Like I, I still like it's it's not ideal. But if you're if you're betting on a guy with those measurables, I think Slayer is, is a good bet to make.
1: i I agree with you. There is a level of discomfort for me with both of them having that that same issue. But uh, I, I liked what I saw out of his workout. And, um, you know, I to me, I, I've had Sewell as, as my top tackle. I know some have Slater as their top tackle. Some even have up there as well. Um, you know, I, I still think I have Sewell by by a, a tiny bit there, but I did like what I saw in terms of workouts. And whatnot from Slater it was pretty impressive so um, good for him he's only, he's only helping himself which is nice I, I will I think we'll all be very interested to see uh, Sewell's measurements workouts et cetera when when that comes out as well because uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that let's end this segment the, the kind of news and free agency update segment if you will on what the Bengals did not opted not to do in free agency. The Bengals opted not to give a franchise tag designation to either William Jackson or Carl Lawson. A lot of people thought Carl Lawson was going to get it, potentially William Jackson, just because he's a high-level corner. But the Bengals opted not to do that. It surprised some. It didn't surprise others. It disappointed some. It actually made sense to some others. Your your feelings on it, because I've got some as well.
2: I don't think there was a single person out there who qualified. Who- who identifies as the Bengals fan that would have said their ideal off season involved the franchise tag being used. It's exactly what we talked about with, with Andre when, when we ran down his ideal off season program, like the franchise tag, it it, it limits, it, it does exactly what the Bengals said it did. Like the fact that they didn't use it, it it allows them to be more flexible with what they can do. The franchise tag. Like I, I don't like it. I've already said this before, but it, it usually ends in one of two ways after a year, either, a the player gets tagged again a la brandon scherf or b the player leaves like the the odds of of them reaching uh, of any player reaching a deal by the july 15th deadline it's it it doesn't always happen it's definitely not a guarantee it's far from a certainty more times than not those guys just play on that tag and teams really only tag players because they're just so far apart in their negotiations and what they value them as like that, that's ultimately why teams tag players because they can because like they know that they're not going to be willing to you know pay them a competitive offer and they, they just control the rights for another year and they give them a, a high a high price tag but also a high cap number as well so the tag is is not something that you want to use and it's especially not for a guy who's, who's 26 years old and carl lawson is only ascending as a player like that would not have been the smart thing to do but of course everybody only looks at things at face value and thinks, oh, the Bengals didn't tag Carl Lawson. They're, they're definitely going to lose him. Like, I, I think if you've been reading what has been said, what we've been saying, what, what's being reported, you would know that there's probably a reason why the Bengals didn't tag Carl Lawson. Like our friend, James Rapine reported a couple weeks ago that the Bengals were willing to use the tag on Carl Lawson. That should indicate to you that they definitely value him as a guy that they want to keep around and then want to keep the talks going And they definitely value him a little bit more than William Jackson at this point because there has been no talks about them ever using the franchise tag of William Jackson. And there have been rumors over the past year about maybe them just moving on in general. But the Bengals still definitely value Carl Austin and would like to keep him around. That's exactly what Ian Rappaport and Tyler Dragon both said after the Bengals declined to use the franchise tag, that they want to keep those talks going and they would like Carl Austin to come back to Cincinnati. I don't think, and I think Jay Morrison said this on the Athletic Podcast, I don't think the Bengals declined the tag with Lawson if they didn't think that they were relatively close on reaching a new deal. And like we talked about, they have until Monday afternoon to get that new deal done before Lawson can look at other offers. And and if by that time comes, if, if there isn't a deal that happens, Lawson is definitely going to look at other offers and the Bengals may still make a competitive one, but he's definitely going to entertain others. And all it takes is one team to offer a little bit more money up front, a little bit more money down the road. And he's probably going to take that. So I, I didn't understand the whole... Uh, you know, outrage over the Bengals not using the tag. It's not what they should have done. I think if if by Monday, if they still haven't signed him, then I think then we can just assume that Carl Lawson's gone. But in my opinion, he's coming back until he doesn't, because I think there is still definitely interest there. And I think there's a reason why they didn't use the tag in the first place.
1: So I'm going to say this. I I had said a couple of times that an ideal situation would be that they long-term tag or they long-term contract, one of one of these two, and uh, franchise tag one of them. Now I said that not because I like the idea of the franchise tag, and I uh, and because I like the idea of that upfront money and that immediate hit on the cap. I don't. What I why I said that is because I think this team to eliminate roster holes needs to keep those guys, and by appearances and accounts, it sounds like. They may be far apart on some things, and that tag would need to be used in order for, for them to be able to keep both of them for at least twenty one. That's that's a sentiment I had. I don't really like the tag in general for the reasons that you just specified, for the reasons that Andre Parada specified. So, I, you know, in ideals of ideals, of course, it's keep both of them and and sign them kind of long term. Man, you know, nice manageable cap hit. And and you you maintain some very good players on your roster potentially, and then you're entering the draft and other parts of free agency in a much better position. I was not up in arms that the Bengals did not use the franchise tag personally. Um, I I do, I do think there's a lot of risk there, but I think the Bengals played it right, John, because as we see who which players were not tagged very heavily in in. The you know the, the the as we go into free agency here, not a lot of edge players. I mean, Shaq Barrett not getting a franchise tag—that's a big deal. So I mean, so all of a sudden, there's a little bit kind of like the guard market. There's a little bit of a saturation of these these positions. Not a lot of corners got got tagged either. So that's not to say that these guys won't be coveted. They obviously will by a lot of teams, but the Bengals maybe played it a little smart uh, financially speaking by not, by not going that route with either one of these players.
2: And I know people are mentioning that he posted his guns for for hire like, <laughs> yeah. like an Instagram post. And I, I remember like, he posted something about like, he, he put, he put he tweet, he tweeted something out like right as the tag uh, window opened like, Oh, he's getting tagged. And obviously he wasn't tagged. Like I don't read into much of what, what these guys say. Like, like they, they have, their Own personalities, and like that's just how they want to brand themselves. I don't think it has any real bearing on what's actually happening. But uh, again, going back to this, because I know I know that losing Jackson and Lawson on the surface looks a lot like losing both Marvin jo- Marvin Jones and Muhammad Snoo in the same offseason, looks like losing Andrew Woodworth and Kevin Zeidler in the same offseason. The Bengals are not all I, right, those decisions were bad. And they were bad, especially because they didn't do a good job of replacing those guys. They had in-house replacements that they that they tried to use, and obviously it failed tremendously. And they didn't supplement those losses with uh, with quality additions. The Bengals at this point, like if you've been reading anything that they've said, they know the pass rush sucks, and they know that even with Carl Lawson there, it stunk. Like that's not something that they're just ignoring, and they're just willing to let it get worse by letting Carl Lawson go again. If if he leaves and and William Jackson also leaves, it creates a problem, but I think the Bengals are in a better position to address that problem. And they have more aggressiveness and more of a mindset to actually legitimately address that problem. Cause if they don't resign Carl Lawson, that's still, they still have 43 million in cap space and there are still names on the market that they can sign to compensate for that loss. I think if they don't come to an agreement with Lawson, it's not going to be they sit on their hands, maybe draft like a guy in the fourth round and hope for the best and maybe hope for Khalid Karina to develop. I think they're going to be more aggressive in trying to re- replace Lawson's production more so than what they did in years past with Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, and Whitworth and Zeiler.
1: I, I think I think they probably set their sights on Barrett at that point if he's not already scooped up. I mean, I think, I think that's uh, – and I don't know how willing he is to come back based on that whole – situation that transpired a couple of off seasons ago when Zach Taylor, Lou Anarumo came in here. Speaking of those guys, John, the thing is too that strikes me about this and I know they've said they want Carl Lawson back. It's been pretty quiet in terms of William Jackson. There's maybe been a couple of things that they've said that, you know, note that they want to have him back. But I mean, it's very, very clear. Zach Taylor, Lou Anarumo, and they're they're showing Marvin Lewis guys out of the out of this building. I mean, they 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 are not keeping those guys around now. For better or worse, some of those guys can still be productive, like the two we're talking about. But you know, I, we we don't know how much Luana Rumo actually really likes these guys for his defense. He may just want different looks all around there off the edge, but you lose Carl Lawson, you lose William Jackson. Those two position groups become very, very thin regardless of how much or how little Luana Rumo likes them in his defense.
2: There is no better conversation with that than with William Jackson. Like it, it, 2020 was not like, it it was still a solid year for him, but obviously 2019 was a, a vast disappointment and there were some injuries as well with, with that but it just it just seemed like ever since Lou came in here like William wasn't necessarily happy he just wasn't playing up to what what we thought he could be it's just it's just i guess just not a good fit and at this point there there just seems to be enough smoke in in regards to just him just not really wanting to be here and if he, if he doesn't want to be here and if he's not fully happy here and he can make more money elsewhere then there's no reason to hold on to him for the, for the sake of just holding on to him like that that, that would only create another potential Carl Carlos Dunlap situation so I think as soon as Trey Wayne's was signed last year it kind of told us all we need to know about how they feel about William Jackson with this current regime and yeah like if he if he's gone then you all you have left is Darius Phillips and that that's a problem that needs to be addressed but again with no with no franchise tag you still have flexibility to do that and there's always the draft as well
1: We'll see what happens with these two. Uh, I, I'm not, as we, as we sit here today, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, both are gone. I, I would be very surprised if both are back. Um, I, yeah, both I, aren't coming back. Yeah, I don't think both are coming back. And I think the Bengals probably are working harder to keep Carl Lawson than William Jackson if I'm just sitting here and playing the guessing game at this point and trying to read the tea leaves. That's just what it seems like at this point. But they opted not to use the franchise tag on either of them. We're going to get to our State Your Case segment in just a second, as well as a free agency profile before we do. First of all, there are a lot of people joining us live tonight, more so than there's been since uh, a little while here. So hello to everybody joining us live, whether it's on the Facebook feed of Cincy uh, Cincy Jungle's Facebook feed, whether it's on our YouTube channel. Thank you. Make sure you hit subscribe there. There's a little logo right under John's left shoulder. So Click that and and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Get all of our content there. Uh, we're also streaming live on our Twitter account as well as Cincy Jungle's Twitter account. So, however you're joining us, thank you for joining us live. And if you cannot join us live, you're missing out. <laughs> but I am glad that you are still downloading us on your favorite audio platform or catching us on our YouTube channel afterwards or on Cincy Jungle wherever. Uh, We appreciate all the support that that you're showing this program. We've got a fun announcement towards the end of the show as well.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
2: So Anthony kind of had his own little like subliminal state your case without really announcing it, but it was, it was, it was, yeah, like the Bengals were smart to not franchise tag Carl Austin and William Jackson. We got two state your cases for tonight because we're jam packed and we're going through this really quickly. So let's get to this other one. Um, there was a conversation that kind of sparked up on Twitter this past or earlier this week about the whole left tackle versus right tackle debate. I think it's a very archaic one. If, if, by now in 2021, you don't feel like right tackles are just as valuable or just as important as left tackles. I'm not sure how much you can be helped. The Bengals specifically face TJ Watt twice a year. They face Miles Garrett twice a year. And I think this year alone they're going to face Khalil Mack, uh, Zadarius Smith for the Packers, um, uh, Joey Bosa again for the Chargers. I think they play the AFC West. Like they're going to face a lot of trouble. And the fact that they've that we've seen Bobby Hart play right tackle for them for the last three years, I feel like if you don't know about that right tackle is important by now. And I think it's all just kind of lost on you, but also in the past week, there's been a little bit more smoke about the Bengals kind of being locked in. If you will, quotation marks on Panay school, maybe he's like their top target in the draft right now. I think Matt Miller said it uh, for the the draft scout. I know the inquirer, Tyler dragon has alluded to that as well. There's just, and it makes sense it's logical, but we're now hearing some actual reports and actual legitimate smoke on him being the guy, if he's there. And then they came to the discussion about if, they draft Sewell, where do you play him? And my state, your case is you play him at right tackle because of the reasons that we previously discussed with Jonah Williams. Jonah Williams is a natural left tackle. If you go back to the last six years that Jonah Williams has played football, going back to his junior year of high school, if you go back to Panay Sewell's junior year of high school, here is where they played. Jonah Williams has played five years at left tackle since his junior year of high school. This one year at right tackle was his freshman year at Alabama. It's because they had Cam Robinson there because it's Alabama and he moved over to left tackle his natural position where he was with high school where he was at high school where he has been ever since Cincinnati drafted him they drafted him to be a left tackle there was no hesitation with that they said we view him as left tackle that's where he's been that's where he's trained that's where he's practiced that's where he's natural at Panay Sewell since his junior year of high school he's played two years of right tackle two years of left tackle at Oregon obviously being 6'6 330 and a ball of athleticism the, the natural perception is you, you you play that guy left tackle to be able, to be the line side blocker in high school Penay Sewell was a right tackle we talked about this I believe during the season with Matt Minnick that 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 was his position at high school he played on the defense line as well I, I don't think his high school is very big they didn't have a lot of players on the team but he was a right tackle and he was just as athletic back then as he is now for for his size Panay Sewell is a natural right tackle he just happened to play left tackle at Oregon because that's where they decided to play him. And then this whole thing has been, oh, yeah, the Bengals should just move Jonah Williams out of left tackle and play the better player at left tackle again, like right tackle is if it's not more important, it's equally as important at left as left tackle nowadays. Like you need two solid guys, and I don't see the point in moving the guy who has been a natural left tackle for his entire career to just appease the rookie that you're drafting at fifth overall. Pinesu hasn't played football in a year. He doesn't have another year left tackle experience. He's been training to play both sides because he doesn't know where he's going to end up. He doesn't know what position he's going to play. He's had a year of training at both left and right tackle with the technique and the kick slides. And he's he's ready to do whatever. And right now, the Bengals need a no right tackle and left tackle.
1: I... Man, these are supposed to be contentious, dude. And we, uh, <laughs> we were you know, I, feel, we like,
2: I feel like we're more contentious with, with maybe the listeners and maybe just the, <laughs> the fan base in general because we just kind of mind-melon
1: Yeah, it's us versus them. Uh, that's funny. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I agree with you. And uh, I mean, could he come in and play left tackle? Sure. I mean, we, you could you could go that route, but I think. As as we've seen, what has been preached and why these coaches are coming back for the for a third season, and why they are dead set on Jonah Williams playing left tackle, they want stability. They want stability at at, at key places, whether it's on the staff or whether it's on the roster. They want stability on this team, and they think that that's going to be the key for them to take the next step in twenty twenty one. That's that's going to be what they they feel that that's going to be the key for them to push towards the playoffs this year, along with making a lot of different acquisitions and free agency and doing the right things in the draft. I, I think that Sewell, I, I think as not only is a rookie, he's a young rookie, so mm-hmm. I think placing him at right tackle is is the better move. And like you said, he's had some experience on that side of the ball. Um, and, and if we had if we had seen some really really concerning things from Jonah Williams at left tackle this year, or we had a a full rookie year where there were struggles. And then there was this year to follow that. Then I can sit here and say, well, I understand now the rationale of potentially moving Jonah Williams around, but we don't have a lot of sample size. And the sample size that we had was okay. It was, it was pretty good at times. It was okay. And he still is growing as a pro as well because he missed his rookie season. So, you have to figure he's going to only improve at the left tackle position. You've got a young, athletic right tackle, uh, and Sewell potentially coming in. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think I think you hit the nail on the head with this one, man. I, I I think that's that should be an initial alignment. And then until Jonah gives you real reasons to believe that he is incapable of holding down that left tackle position, that's maybe when you make the switch over and or you feel that Sewell is becoming just too immense of a player and he's just a better fit on the left side for you that's when you make that move i don't think you just automatically yank things around when you draft this kid
2: and anytime someone says that right tackles aren't as important as left tackles you you are devaluing willie anderson's hall of fame case like that's that's on you that's on you all right (laughs) but yeah like if, if you don't have two quality guys as your bookends that's a hole that that can't be exploited and, and it was exploited last year. Jonah Williams was solid for most of the year. I know he had a couple of bad games in there, but he definitely had more quality games than Bobby Hart. And unfortunately, like, like the, that the blindside perception, it, it has forced defenses to essentially maximize that advantage against right tackles. If, if you're going to play your best pass blocking le- tackle at left tackle, then go, go up against the guy that's mainly, um, Dutied for, for run blocking. That's why we've seen a surge in guys that are going up against the right tackle as the best pass rushers in the league. Von Bell, Khalil Mack, Cameron Jordan, like uh, I, I believe Joey Bosa as well, like Miles Garrett for the, for the most part, TJ Watt, like the best pass rushers in the league, they, they almost exclusively rush against right tackles because defenses have to adjust. I, if that that's where the best advantage is until offenses catch up, that's how it's going to continue to be. So you need two quality pass blocking tackles. And I, I, yeah, I think for all those reasons, like Sewell was just better suited for a tackle right now.
1: That's, you know, I, I, I wish I could argue with, man. Like I said, I wish I could argue with you here, but that, that's a great take and a great state your case there. And I think, um, you know, I, I I think that it sounds like based on what Duke Tobin said earlier this week and what, uh, what Zach Taylor said this week, it, it sounds as if, That'll probably if they if they go that route. It sounds as if that's going to be the plan. Because if you heard our soundbite of the week, I mean they're pretty committed to Jonah Williams now. Words are what words are, but um, and, and coach speak is what it is. But at this point, you have your opinion on this, John. Do you think that the Bengals stick to the, if if Sewell is the pick? Do you believe that they would stick to their word at this point, or do you think that they would just be overly enamored with the kid and say, "Hey, go left side, and we'll we'll move Jonah right."
2: I suppose it's possible. I, I obviously don't think it's it's the best move that they could do. But um, I, again, like Jonah's still a guy that's been in the league for two years. He's only played one, but he's been in the league. He's been in an NFL weight room for two years. And like Duke Tobin um, he even said, like he was asked about some of these prospects that opted out. i like, yeah, there's, there's a level of pro- there's an increased level of projection that you don't normally see for guys that have played three years. And, you know, that that is a question mark. It doesn't mi- necessarily mean that they don't think highly of the guys that opted out. It's just like th- that's just projecting because they don't have recent film on them. They don't know for sure until they meet and talk with them, like what they've been doing for the past year. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's just kind of silly to just assume that just because Sewell is this label as this generational guy that played left tackle that they would change all of their plans and just move a quality young left tackle to right tackle when it may not have even suited best. So, yeah, I, I think even with Sewell for how highly touted he is and how highly they may think of him, I think they would still stick to their guns there.
1: I I think this is in reference to Panay Sewell. David Adcock in the live Facebook chat says his tapes definitely show him getting on the second level. That's for sure. Sewell, there's a lot of second level and attacking (laughs) Uh, some players that are a little bit smaller than him, but that's a good thing (laughs) because they need need to get uh, some, especially in the run game, they need to get some space opened up to be able to be a bit more explosive in the run game and just be be a bit more versatile and and do the things that they want to do on offense, but yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you. That's a good state your case here. By the way, before we get to the the free agent profile that we um that we're going to give you here to close out the show, I, I I don't know what this if this comment is relevant, but I just saw the name of this person in uh our live, music, uh, <laughs> coach Dan kneecaps Campbell. I just. Uh, I, I found that to be one of the better names I've seen in one of my <laughs> live chats there. So kudos, kudos, kneecaps, uh, head coach kneecaps, Dan Campbell. Kudos. What do we, what do we got for the free agent profile this week, John?
2: So last week we went with Shaq Barrett. We've gone with some high profile guys, I believe. Um, you, you did Kenny Galladay a, a couple weeks ago as well. We're gonna go a little bit, a little bit under the radar, but a, a guy that could potentially make me a little bit more than what we originally thought. Roy Robertson Harris out of the Chicago Bears. There's quietly a decent amount of 2020 Bears that are hitting the market that should intrigue the Bengals. And I think Robertson Harris was a guy that was brought up by Malik Wright, who's a Bengals insider that everyone should be following. Joe Goodberry as well. A guy who's just 27 years old. He's going to turn 28 in July. He's had, you know, I think, four years of playing experience with the Bears. He's dealt with some injuries. I believe he ended the 2020 season on IR after playing just eight games. did not record a sack last year, but... I think as a guy who pl- who played sparingly as like a rotational guy for the past four years with the bears, again, bears, a stacked defense, a stacked defensive line, not a lot of opportunities to really break through in there, but um, a, a guy who was not an undrafted free agent out of UTEP from 2016, the bear, he's just kept with the bears for the past four years. I believe in January, uh, either him or his significant other post on Instagram that like, they're essentially not coming back to Chicago. So he is going to hit the market and he's going to test other offers, but guy who's six seven like almost 300 pounds and aligns mainly at like the three tech or four eye as a guy who can kind of move inside but also has the length and the size to play on the edge i think the Bengals aren't going to really solve their pass rushing issues like immediately this offseason i think they're going to throw a handful of pieces at the puzzle to try to just minimize like the damage as it is right now and just kind of hastily throw something together I think Robertson Harris is a versatile piece that can push the pocket and can win as a pass rusher can also hold his own in the run game as well just as a guy as a guy with upside who hasn't really hit his peak just yet but I think teams really like his athleticism and his size I think he was just given the go-ahead by doctors that so he was placed on injury reserve with a shoulder injury back in November and um, he was just given the green light that he's going to be completely ready to do whatever he needs to do in the offseason. But a guy with versatility, guy with size, only 27 years old. And, I mean, we don't know what he's going to get on the market, but teams could view him as a, as a high upside guy and maybe may give him a, more, a slightly more expensive deal than maybe just like a proven deal. So I think that fits the Bengals a lot because they're not taking a proven guy that's going to get a ton of money on the on the market, but they could slightly overpay, I guess, for what he's already done in the hopes that he I, I guess kind of earns that value with increased playing time and increased opportunities. But again, they, they may not throw money out of Shaq Barrett or an elite guy to really to tr- to try to solve all their problems with just one player and, and potentially replacing Carl Lawson. I think it might just be like maybe one or two defensive linemen, maybe a guy in the draft to try to solve those issues altogether. And I think Robertson Harris is a guy that we need to remember next week.
1: This is a guy where, and I think I just channeled my inner Chris my Collins.
2: Collinsworth on the show.
1: Here's a guy. No, uh, <laughs> this is a guy that I think really fits what what Lou Anarumo really uh, wants to be up front, which is multiple, and you can switch guys around, you can switch formations, and you know if he gets a player like this, this is this is kind of where you say, okay, coach, you want this guy. Let's let's hope everyone's healthy. Now you've got quote unquote your guys. Can you, you know, make it make it work, make it happen? Because you have this grand plan that you've been trying to execute, going on the third year now, and you know you've got some players that you you feel you can move around and do different things, like like uh, th- this young man here. And you know, I, I just feel that uh, th- this is a this is a piece that would kind of almost you know, Lou Anarumu may, may put his reputation on a little bit, even though he's not a high price guy, it's kind of like one of those guys that he would probably really pound the table for, for his defense. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I like the player. You look at the numbers, there's nothing that pops out. Like you said, I think he was a victim a little bit, not only of injury, but being behind a very talented, uh, some, some, while well, being in the mix of some very talented bears players. So, you know, I, I I like the idea here, and these are this is kind of one of those guys, John, where when you look at what the, you know, you, you bring him in, and I think, um, you know, fans would sit here and go, okay, well, that doesn't really move the needle that much in terms of a name or, you know, maybe even a, a sizable contract, that sort of thing, but this is a, a player when, when you look back at some of those, like, nice free agent signings where you go, oh, that was not like a Wallace-Gilberry, not the same type mm-hmm. of player, but you bring a guy like that in and you feel like, you know, you kind of get them on maybe a a reasonable, you know, nothing, nothing big type of deal. And they come in and they hopefully play well in your system. And then all of a sudden you kind of found this diamond in the rough a little bit that uh, fits your defense pretty well. And I think this, this kid has the potential for that.
2: Exactly. And, I kind of feel like the logic with, with uh, like Trey Wayne's last year where like on the on the outside. They, they it may feel like they overpaid, but I feel like the Bengals may have thought that they could get more out of Trey Wayne's than what he already was in Minnesota. And I feel like this is a very similar situation. I think Mike Mike Garofalo on on Twitter mentioned that like he could get more money than what is expected that, that he's expected to make on the open market. Just if if. He just has that market. If he has that intrigue from teams around the league, if they like his pedigree, if they like his overall profile, he could get more than what he's projected. I think PFF projected him like in that four to three million dollar range for like one or two years. Like he could get significantly more than that, even even in a year where the cap is tight. Like you know, if they if teams view him as a rare talent that's hitting the market, then you know he could end up with that deal. But I feel like the, the Bengals could pounce on an opportunity and recognize a guy that has a lot more potential than what he already showed a, again in the, in the talented defense. And now that he's finally healthy, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he kind of hits the stride in the new scheme.
1: So here just quickly before we, we close it up and we, uh, we, we get on out of here. Here's just a, a looking at pro football reference here, looking at some of his stats. And again, nothing that that pops out to you quite so much. I mean, a hand, small handful of sacks over, course of three seasons injury cut cut last year short for him as you mentioned um but really kind of you can see started to hit his stride especially with some starts towards the last couple of years but two sacks three sacks uh two and a half sacks topped out at 30 total tackles in 2019 22 of them were solo um has nine tackles for loss over the course of four seasons Um, and then you see here though, John, this is intriguing to me here as a movable piece, the 21 quarterback hits from 2018 and 2019. Um, that's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad number right there.
2: Mind you, he only played one season over 500 snaps. He's averaging about like 400, 300 snaps a year because of how stacked that defensive line was.
1: Yep. Good, good call. Good profile. That is, uh, this week's Free agency profile. We kind of started with a, a little bit more of the obvious, and kind of looking more at some names that might be a little bit under the radar. And we went with Roy Robertson Harris of the Chicago Bears. Uh, it, tall guy, big guy, and seems to be a movable piece in the defense. Before we get on out of here, we got to drop the mic and and uh, give some final thoughts, I suppose, uh, John. What do you what do you have for us before we? bounce on out of here this Wednesday evening when the uh, kind of our free agency Eve I guess a yeah little
2: bit. I feel like I always steal or I sometimes steal your your mic drops so I want I want to give the floor to you just just so that <laughs> doesn't happen this time in, in case <laughs> okay. it does happen
1: okay uh I've got I've got a couple uh number one is that um, first of all, thanks to to Richard Dalton for joining us on the Monday, uh, the Monday water cooler chat there. Good guy. He's the guy who created the logo. So go to at Dalton signature. If you need some graphic design work, great guy, Bengals fan. Um, the other, I kind of teased it a little bit. We have a, uh, we're, we're working on hammering a time down, but we have a, Hall of Fame type name joining us. I won't I won't say who yet, but a Hall of Fame type name of a former Bengals player that'll be joining us on the podcast in the very near future. So we are excited about that. And John, you know, amongst the myriad of really nice comments, I've kind of seen uh, flash bias in the live chats. I want to share this one because uh, this really nice comment by uh, Dubs Bengals at Daniel Dubs. I listened to the Bengals Pods and yours is great. Uh it's impressive to be so positive after hearing your sister's story during the COVID lockdown. It really shows you're all in. You typically don't judge what the Bengals do and you stand behind your player evals. Um, you know, I I first of all, I mean, some of that was specifically pointed to me, but I took that as a compliment to both of us, John, and our podcast and what we do here. And, you know, unfortunately there were a couple of episodes where we got pretty serious just based on everything that was going on about a year or, or a little less ago. But uh, I just, I thought that was a really nice comment and a nice compliment about our show and what we try and do. It's a labor of love and um, you know uh, you know, anyone anytime uh, we, we get a nice comment like that, I had to give some public recognition. So thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate that.
2: Absolutely, man. I mean, w- w- sometimes we go back and forth with, with our listeners, but we love all of you the same, and we Absolutely. love the passion that you guys bring for this show, and you, you, ultimately you guys drive it, and we, we want to keep doing it. A show that you are proud of and you want to listen to every week. My Mic Drop um, is going to be about a Twitter account that Anthony mentioned earlier this week, Obscure Bengals, <laughs> which is something that really caught my eye, and I, I think it only started this month, and I was waiting for him to... Or, or her, whoever is running the count to name drop this certain player. And it happened today. Maurice purify. Maurice purify. <laughs> if you guys don't know back in 2009, which I think the year that Maurice purify was with the Cincinnati Bengals, little 13 year old John went down to Georgetown, Kentucky for like two days at training camp You know, like my friend's dad was there and he was asking me like, oh, who really stood out to you in practice? And I said, you know what? Maurice Purify made some good catches in training camp. He had some nice little little deep catches down the sideline. They all laughed at me because Maurice Purify was not going to do anything for the Cincinnati Bengals or any NFL team in particular. And of course, he ended up not lasting long in the NFL. But a few years later. Arizona Rattlers Arena Football League. He oh, had yeah. like 140 touchdowns in a single <laughs> season. It was like the MVP of the league. 13 year old John Arena Football League scout extraordinaire. Shout out to the obscure Bengals.
1: Sooth, yeah, soothsayer. That is a that that's that's a great one. I I thought of you. I think recently they did an Armon Uh That was oh, a, yeah. one they did, and then I think uh, I don't know if this one's come up yet. But remember, remember Mario Urudia? Do you remember that name? Uh, I think he was from yeah. Atlanta. Um, but another big receiver guy, kind of like purify uh big guy that, you know, you had hopes for and just, it never happened. But, um, yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah. Good account though. Good, good, good account. So I, I pride myself on knowing a lot of little, you know, names and whatnot of, uh, of old Bengals players. And sometimes he, he, he or she brought up a couple that I was like, wow. Okay. That's really digging in the archives there. dusting <laughs> off the Dusting off the books. That's good stuff. We're going to hop on out of here before we do the John, you and Matt Minnick are taking the air tomorrow. I may, oh, I yeah. may join you. I don't know, but you yeah. and Matt Minick are taking the air tomorrow for a little free agency special as well. Am I correct?
2: That's right. We're going to go down through the, current roster and talk about some of the things that they did and didn't do this week and where it stands and kind of like what they need to do you know sort of like an overview of a plan like where they are right now where they need to go but always nice to, to, to collab with Matt and really talk to him because I, he offers perspectives that sometimes we don't and it ends up being really good so definitely check that out tomorrow night
1: yeah please do we're gonna we're gonna bring you that one we're gonna bring you at least uh whether it's this week or next week at least one listener questions live episode on a friday so check that out and we're gonna be slamming you with stuff next week as free agency hits whether it's just short updates um longer shows all kinds of breakdowns of what the Bengals did do didn't do all of that so join us for that we've got a lot to talk about For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Thanks for tuning in to the Orange and Black Insider Bangles Podcast. We'll see you soon.